Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to the first episode of Series 11 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. As I wrote in my annual list of HR predictions for 2021, which we covered on last week's episode, the pandemic has thrust the human resources function into the spotlight. All eyes are on HR. Some have likened the pivotal role the CHRO is playing in this crisis to that played by the CFO in the global financial crisis. Undoubtedly, HR has a unique role to play, but how does the function shift towards generating value for the business, the customer, the workforce, investors, and the community at large? We decided to bring an esteemed panel of three experts together to debate the topic. Firstly, Bridget McInnes, head of HR at Google Cloud, where she focuses on attracting and developing amazing talent and shaping the culture for business growth and transformation. Second, we have Dave Orich, Professor at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan and co-founder of the RBL Group. With his colleagues, Dave has written over 30 books that have shaped the HR profession, defined organisations of capabilities and shown the impact of leadership on customer and investors. Last but not least, Rupert Morrison, who is leading the way in data-driven organisational planning as CEO at Orgview. He has also authored a Chartered Management Institute shortlisted book of the year on data-driven organisation design. In our conversation, me and the panel discuss the impact of the pandemic on organisations, employees and HR, how HR can be more value and business focused. We look at the skills that Google looks for in its HR business partners and how Google measures its culture. We look at the impact of the pandemic on workforce planning, organisation design and people analytics. And we also look at what HR can do in 2021 to capture more value for the business. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in HR and how it can create value for the organisation. So that's business leaders, CHROs and anyone in an organisation design, people analytics or HR business partner role. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 11 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Orgview. In an era when market dynamics are constantly shifting, Orgview is the leading organisational planning and design software that puts businesses on the front foot. It harnesses the power of data and modelling to build more adaptable and better performing organisations. What Orgview does best is give you control of your organisation and, with the data evidence, help you make faster, more confident decisions to get the right people doing the right work at the right cost. This is real-time organisational decision-making for times of change. That's why Orgview is used by the world's foremost companies and consulting firms to fearlessly build their organisations of the future today. To discover more, visit the website at orgview.com. That's orgvue.com. Today, I'm delighted to host a special panel of experts to kick off Series 11 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast and get us up and running for 2021. Joining me to look at the future role of HR are Bridget McInnes-Day, VP for HR at Google Cloud, Rupert Morrison, CEO at Orgview, and Dave Orick, co-founder and principal at the RBL Group, and the Rensis Likert Professor at the University of Michigan Ross School of Business. Dave, I'm going to come to you first. Um, believe it or not, I think it's nearly nearly a year and a half since you were last on the podcast back in August 2019. And you said something that, that really resonated with me and quite a few of our listeners, actually, that the most important thing that HR can give an employee is a company that wins in the marketplace. 
So to kick us off today, can you talk about where you see HR changing uh, and how HR can move to creating, delivering and capturing value for the customer and the investor? It's great to say that's what HR should do. How does it need to change to do that? Well, first of all, David, thank you so much for inviting me to the broadcast. And what a privilege to be with Rupert and Bridget, who will uh, I, I look forward to learning with and from them. Has anything happened since August 19 that would change our world? You know, it just it just mystifies me that nothing's changed. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a there's a French saying that says plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. And I have to translate because my French is so bad. The more things change, the more they're the same. You know, obviously we faced a global pandemic, political crises, social crises and injustices, but the messages are still the same at a principal level. If HR doesn't help create market value to help us succeed with customers, with investors, and now I'd add communities, then there is no workplace. Yeah. And so the value of an HR is not what we do. It's what we do that creates value with our customers, with our investors, and with our communities. Now, what's happened is those three have all changed. Customers are different today. They're different than they were a year ago. They're looking for quick response. They're looking for digital access. They're looking for the ability to connect in different ways. Investors are looking and, and putting more intangible value on the ability to respond quickly, to be agile. And communities are ever more rigorous, focusing on social, social citizenship and the ability of a firm to succeed. So HR, to create success, has to create value for the investor, for the customer, and for the community through three things. Talent. How do we better manage talent? And I think the issue is becoming increasingly about talent, my fingers, about the experience employees have wherever they work. The work is not a place. It's a set of values. I think second, the talent has to create a great organization. We have found consistently in our research that the organization has four to five, three to four times the impact on outcomes with customers, investors, and communities than talent. And third is leadership. And so when we create value in HR for the customer, the investor, and the community through talent, organization, and leadership, that's where HR steps up. And I just have to say, I think the crises of 2020 put HR center stage. These are human crises. These are emotional crises. There's digital impact on it, but these are really about the emotional response that allows us to manage talent, organization, and leadership in an effective way. Thanks, Dave. And, and certainly, I think a lot of the organizations that we work with, and I've seen commentary you know, in, a number of, in a number of studies, it's almost like CHRO has almost stepped up as the CFO did in the, in the global financial crisis. So, so Bridget, turning to you, um, you've worked previously at SAP SuccessFactors. You're now at Google Cloud. To, to build on Dave's points, what changes have you seen that suggest HR is evolving towards being more value and business focused? And how do you think that this impacts the role of the HR business partner? Thank you so much for the question. And again, thanks for having me today. It's going to be a great, great time to be exploring this topic for sure. Um, I wanted to think a little bit about this question, and uh, I saw HR very differently when I stepped out of human resources into the COO role at Success, Success Factors. So I saw it in very different view from an internal perspective, leaving the organization that I had been part of for a long time in HR, but then going to be in front of the customers from an external uh, perspective and what are HR customers needing as well. And what I realized was there was so much more that HR 
has impact on that's rarely, rarely seen by leaders. And I also think that HR is also too humble about the impact they deliver and struggle sometimes with the messaging and the impact because they're just continuing to focus on the work. So those two things were a reflection for me in terms of how to bring back coming to Google, making sure that you're front and center of how do you bring that value and what does it mean from a business leader perspective and show more of what, the, what those important things are. Um, so I think that evolution for me to see it, to say, how are you that strategic partner talking about what that means for progressive leadership? at companies. I've seen and have had to help a lot of customers say that they didn't have to push their value as hard because they had much more progressive leaders, where they had some of those leaders were, weren't so humble and didn't understand the value of HR. And that's where they were on their curve. So I think it's really about striking that balance and understanding that the, the trajectory that leadership is on as well as that company. I think the other areas, um, I think you mentioned as well, but think about COVID or some of these big crises that we've had to face. If it hasn't been this time, showing that HR is an area and a focus from a value perspective is key, not just from an HR functional perspective, but this is a CEO agenda. This is a topic that we get customers coming to us saying, how are you handling this? It's the number one thing our CEOs worry about, what, what will make or break their business. Yeah. And thinking about what that looks like and for us, it was really about thinking about what does that leadership shift from a culture perspective and how does culture bring people together during times of extreme change, extreme growth, and when we need a center to pull that together. And that's what we've been focusing on is bringing that culture and linking that from a value perspective to help us navigate through greater times of change. And that's where I see thinking about being much more agile in the moment. And having much more inclusive leadership is where HR is showing the value as they're coaching and driving through this change as well. Great. And, and actually, just a, as a follow up, you know, you know, what are the skills? I mean, it's interesting you spent some time outside HR, actually. And, and I'm just wondering if, you know, what are the skills that Google looks for in HR business partners and how has that changed over the last few years? Sure. I think the number one thing that when I went into the COO role, one, I focused on really focused on learning a, a different work, even though I had supported business like that from an HR perspective, it's very different when you walk in the shoes and you're, you're held accountable as well versus coaching from, from a different angle. So the business operational aspect and acumen is, is key. And I think that's imperative from a human resource perspective, because some of these groups pop up, they could be shadow HR, they could be org design transformation, all the areas that I think are quite strategic in HR, we've got to really own that from a human resource perspective and operating with the business by showing the information, understanding the business strategy, linking it and helping the leaders transform. That's what I was, I really felt was the key differentiators in an operating, operating role and to bring that back into HR and yeah. make sure it's not just about the employee life cycle aspects, that are the things you do every single year, that, that's what employees and leaders see of you, but also those more strategic areas where you're adding the value and the impact as you're building out that organization or taking it to the next level. So those are the things I think uh, in terms of what I'm trying to drive differently is getting people with those skills to be more, more of an operating principle in the organization. What does Google look like, uh, look for? Um, <laughs> What do they look like, right? What do they look for in terms of people partners? We call them people partners at Google. Uh, one, it's really making sure they, they've led large scale transformation. 
which was great, insightful, obviously from a growth business that we're in, but also being able to operate. What I mean by that is moving away from gut feel and having tons of analytics, gut feel, and trying to coach from a, a arm's length, really get in there and be part of the team that's actually driving the expansion, driving the business change, and leveraging a culture work that has metrics and data behind it to be able to pulse and focus on the issues at hand, not the things that might have brought us here in the past. So kind of bringing what Dave said about helping the employees win and the company right. within the marketplace effectively. Right. And before I come to Rupert, Dave, it'd be interesting to, to comment from you, actually. Obviously, you work with lots of organizations and you've written for years around the, the role of the HR business partner. You know, what are sort of skills that you are seeing that companies are looking for in HR business partners now that maybe they weren't a, a few years ago? Uh, let me make a comment on Bridget's exceptional comments because I thought they were so helpful. She used the term value. I think value has two definitions. I think it's the value we create for others. So did I do something that others got value from, the customer, the investor? Did my leadership training help customers have confidence, the investor have confidence? The other part of value is values. What we're known for, our identity. I think both value and values become critical in this world. Um, and I think Bridget made a very nice distinction. She did a beautiful job defining both of those that HR has to create value for someone else by living the values that we have. And what that means, for example, when she talks second comment, and I'm sorry to do so much here, about culture. Culture is not our values. Culture is the value we create for our customer. Mm -hmm. And so the issue of culture is not living a set of values. That's kind of the roots of the tree. The issue of culture is creating value for the customer outside. And that changes the whole definition of culture from an internal perspective to what we call outside in. Now, your comment about skills of HR, we're studying that. We've identified five possible skill sets HR may need coming out of this world. One is information asymmetry. How do we manage information better? Two, separating signal from noise. I am finding myself overwhelmed with noise. I mean, and, and by the way, this workshop is not noise. This workshop is a signal. It's the right workshop. But which of those noise elements are the ones I should pay attention to. Three, getting integrated solutions. HR is not piecemeal. We'll do staffing Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, performance management, Tuesday and Thursday, and Saturday we'll do career development. No, you got to get integrated. Four is social responsibility. Probably more than we've ever seen before. We live in a more transparent world and, and HR folks have to be social citizens. And five, and the one I'm most passionate about, and I, I won't go any further, We've got to move our analytics from dashboards and scorecards to guidance systems with impact. Mm -hmm. and, and it's no longer good enough to have analytics that say, here's my scorecard, here's my insight. I want to know which insights will have impact on the things we create value for, the, the customer, the investor. And that will help me with those others. I think that guidance agenda is so critical. We're moving from... Uh, the metaphor I heard the other day is dumb phones, traditional phones that just respond to smartphones. A smartphone gives you guidance. It gives you information. And I think that's the fifth one that we're seeing. Information, noise, social responsibility, um, guidance, and uh, integrated solutions. Those are the five things we're testing. Great. Thank you, Dave. And, and Bridget, thank you as well. And Rupert, that probably tees you up quite nicely because I know you're also passionate about moving away from dashboards and actually using 
using data uh, much more effectively within organizations. Like Dave, you, you work a lot of different companies and their HR organizations on their org design uh, and workforce planning challenges. You know, how should HR be thinking about roles and skills to support this future vision for HR? You know, and how can HR start to get better at looking forward and predicting the needs for the future as, as Dave outlined? Firstly, um, David, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's great to be here. The, the thing is, it was actually a, on the last podcast, um, Dave Oreck said to you, people can be champions, but organizations win championships. And, and he just said, you know, there are three components, talent, organ, leadership, but the organization is three to four times more impactful than the talent. And at, at some point, David, I'd, I'd love to get your source on that because it, it really resonates with me. And what it is, is understanding the, the organization holistically. And I, I think, Dave, you, you know, you just talked about the organization and integrated solution and holistic thinking. And you, you've, and, and it's understanding all the components of the organization. And what, what that means, you know, the, the noise is just looking at one, one element. And the obsession with spans and layers and structure, um, and that's a very much a backward-looking set of metrics. And, and people talk about org health checks and backward-looking, like the SAS span of control, without actually understanding the work. And, you know, it's important to understand the work and then the workforce. And the work is there to achieve outcomes. And what are the outcomes you're trying to achieve? And a lot of the discussions being, what are the outcomes you're trying to achieve for your customers? What are the outcomes you're trying to achieve for your investors? And, and, and some of the customers are internal customers if you're a service provider internally. And then, and then it's what are the skills required to be good at doing that work and, 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 and having genuine mastery? And, and you know, the question around what skills should an HR business partner have? Well, that is one role. But organizations are made up of hundreds and in some cases up to a you know, 1, 1,500 different roles if you're a big bank. And so you need to understand each role in that context of what you're trying to achieve, the outcomes, what is the work and the accountability and giving the autonomy to people, and, and then, it's, and then that the skills and, and also the behaviors that you expect from them so you can, so you can ex execute the strategy and, 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 and hit the goals that you're trying to achieve. And, and, and what I'm really talking about is connecting all of this with data. So you have a role data set, which creates a role grid, and you have accountabilities. Those get broken into positions, um, and positions are different to employees and people. People sit in positions, and they move around, and people move around all the time, and positions are created, and they're demised, and the world is fluid, and it's constantly evolving. And, and this idea that you can live in a as-is-to-be paradigm where I, here's my as-is-situation, now I'm going to transform and create a 2B and, and think that you're finished. The world's not like that. It's, it's constantly accelerating. And so the, the, the role of cent, the center of all of that and the, how you manage that and, and design that is, is crucial. And, and part of the, the thing, and, and Dave, you, you were talking about guidance, the guidance agenda, and it's, but it's not just guidance. I'm not just looking for insight. You want to be able to do what if scenarios yourself. You want to be able to play with what if X versus Y, and we call it what if analysis, what if analytics, 
what if we grew here? And, 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 and when you think about the work, you say, what if we would reduce the investment in this work so we can invest more in that work? What if we improve the efficiency through automation? What if we reallocated the work so that we could free up other, you know, these groups of roles to do more of X, Y, and Z? That's all what if. So you're using the data to inform your own decision making and run scenarios. And by doing that, you're giving yourself confidence to really act with purpose and, and drive genuine change at speed. Firstly, before we go on, Dave, I'm going to ask you to come back on the, the source for the organizations having three to four times the impact of, of individuals. Is that is that some research that you've done? Yeah, uh, it's been done by a lot of people. The book is called Victory Through Organization. We had 1,200 businesses and 31,000 people, and we looked at the individual skills, the talent, the individual competence, and we looked at the organizational capabilities of those 1,200 businesses. And then we did analytics. We did the statistics. Which one of those had the biggest impact on outcomes we care about? We've replicated that in other settings. Charles O'Reilly has done some other work in that area as well. Uh, Rupert, could I ask a question? What are the outcomes HR people should be focused on even more? I love your what if question. That's what guidance is all about. But what are the outcomes that become the dependent variables that we in HR should focus on? The reason I ask that is I think I think traditionally in HR, the outcome is employee well-being, which is a great outcome. Nobody would ever disagree with that. And if you do, you ought to get out of HR and go into finance. But are there other outcomes today that we should be focused on that you find in your work? Sorry, David, so, I just am curious about Rupert. That's fine. That's fine. So if you, th if, if you think about the organization and organization design, the purpose of the organization is to execute the strategy. And the strategy isn't what's most important. The strategy is how are we going to win in the marketplace? What, how are we going to differentiate? And there's, a, so there's a set of how questions and the organization's there to achieve that. Now that strategy gets broken into a whole range of outcomes. And actually each role has a series of outcomes. So if, if you're in, in customer support, your outcome might be a renewal and net retention or net promoter score. If, if you're in product, it's executing the product against the product roadmap. If you're in sales, it's sales. If, you know, if you're in HR, it's, I would argue, ensuring you can do all of the people can do all of these things and you're enabling that. So the, so the outcomes are organizational outcomes. You, you know, you talked about the investor lens. Well, you know, market capitalization growth, share price or revenue. What Those are all outcomes. Um, and, and so... You, you, and and I, I, you talk about the business context. That is the business context. That's what people are there to do. Everyone gets up in the morning to achieve an outcome by doing work. Um, and I, I think you want to be as, as broad as that. Now, that the role of org design is to help you prioritize which outcomes are really most crucial and important because you can't do it all. And, how, and, and, and getting people to understand the trade-offs, right, because you can't do everything. And that's really the the strategy question. And too often people get confused. Language is important. And, and so the word strategy is often used as a euphemism for I want to be best. Well, being best is not a strategy. It's just an outcome in a market, in a context, best at what. The strategy question is how, and then what do we need to do to achieve that? And that's where organizational thinking is, is crucial and, and comes to play.
does that answer your question, Dave? Great. Thanks, Dave. That was a good question. <laughs> this is this is what this is the beauty of a panel, you see, as opposed to our usual way of doing the podcast. So, Bridget, I'm going to come to you now. Um, when we think about org design and, and planning for the future, I think we've all referenced, all, all of us have referenced the importance of leadership and culture and the essential part that it plays. You know, given Google has a, a well-deserved reputation for being so culture-focused, can you share with us how Google's responded to the pandemic? Uh, and how this is impacted, how the company thinks about culture. And the reason for asking you this question, I think when we were doing the prep last week with all of us, you you met you had a great quote that you can't have a culture without a building. So uh, I'd be interested to hear more about that. So th thanks, David. And uh, that was something that someone said, and it really was intriguing to me to say, really, I'd, I'd like to challenge that, right? I'd yeah, like to challenge right, that yeah. you can have a culture and is it walls that happen? Was it the building that happens or the community, right? So, um, but to step back, there's a lot in that question. So <laughs> I think if you think about, I just wanted to look back over how I used to think in terms of prior to 2020, right? So there's pre-2020 pre in terms of the things, I believe that talent and leadership were keys to successful business outcomes. And I've learned a lot in 2020, reflected a lot, and now I have to say that culture is probably at the heart of business success, especially during um, times of immense change or ambiguity. If I reflect on it, it's the number one question we get from a candidate in an interview process. It's the number one topic that our customers come to us for advice. What is Google doing or what are you doing from a people perspective on all aspects of uh, the change and the culture? What the number one topic employees ask us of how are we going to manage our culture during times of change? And, and then also, too, it's what does that look like from a culture perspective? And one of the things just reflecting on when, when uh, the global pandemic hit, uh, we, we slowed down some of our culture work. We really were focusing on behaviors. As, as David said it before, it's not just about it's not about the values. Right. I like the roots analogy there, but it's about. What behaviors are we pulling as part of the business strategy to drive the culture and preserve the things that we're so proud of from a Google perspective? And in doing that, it was important for us to really look down and look at what was the important pieces of it. So when we think, thought about in terms of, you know, what that looked like, um, we pulled back and said we wanted to put together and think about what that culture is at the heart. And what types of leaders do you need during that time? So for us, it was about inclusive leadership and agile leadership. And those are the things I think that are keep uh, permeating just to build a strong culture and environment. And that story I was telling about saying that we slowed down on our culture work, focusing on customer empathy and the behaviors that drove us there. We slowed it down a little. It said, our people have too much right now. We just slow it down. Let's just hit pause for a little bit. A couple of weeks later, we got a pull in the organization during COVID. We made all these changes. People are coming together, making quick decisions, strong decisions across um, Google for the betterment of the people, for the community, for the for the customers. And all of a sudden, the pull came. They needed something to, to, to bind them together. And that was part of that culture work. So we saw a pull happening in the organization. And that's why I say I think it's at the heart and focusing on you can't have customer empathy unless you have empathy for yourselves. And that was number one. So that's one of what we focus on in leadership that can build an environment that's inclusive, that can lead during times of change. And I think all of us, I know Dave joked and uh, Rupert were saying, all of us have probably changed our leadership style in 2020. 
and th our thoughts about what the future holds and what those attributes look like. So I think it's really around taking us to the next level and what it means to be able to handle whatever challenges come to us in the future through inclusion and agility. Um, I've been at Google now just a bit over a year and I was pretty, very, very impressed in terms of the scale of what Google could do in terms of a global pandemic, the response, the togetherness, and we're still learning and listening and, and understanding what needs are happening from a global pandemic perspective. So the, I don't think we're done yet, but I was pretty impressed at the ability for, for people to come together and focus so so quickly and so deliberately. And that's been a pretty proud moment. But putting the, these this detail around how we focus on culture, I think has been a pretty key area for us to bring our uh, Googlers along, provide some sustainability in areas where there isn't in other areas in terms of what's happening in people's lives. And I think that's another way for us to think about in the future, how we're gonna think about org design, talent, leadership, and think through what those attributes are for, for the future. Great, thanks Bridget. And, and certainly I think a feature of organizational response to, to the pandemic and the other crises of 2020 has been that, that focus on employee experience, that focus on well-being, that focus on our people, a lot of organizations have had, which I think is heartening and it's a, it's a maybe a good thing that's come out of the crisis. You know, certainly in the conversations that, that we have with, with organizations in what we in the work we do at Insight 222, get asked a lot about how how to measure culture. You know, I'm interested, how do you measure culture at, at Google? So, what are the, what <laughs> so are the ways you do it? Right? <laughs> Many people think, oh, that's this fluffy stuff we're, we're focusing on. So it was really around back to that, what are the business drivers, right? We talked about, you know, everyone's talking about those business drivers and how you drive them in terms of adding what, where that outcome and value is and what behaviors do you need to change? So really looking at what are those key strategic drivers you need to yield to? Where do you have match from a behavior perspective? Where do you have a mismatch? And what, what are those levers? You can't do them all. And I think this is one of the areas for us in HR to just really focus on what are the two or three that are gonna be the biggest levers to pull and identify those to get your lift in the organization to drive and drive and shift or evolve a culture, especially during times of change or times of big heavy growth. So we assessed those, value, those key business drivers we needed. We, we went to Pulse, we wanted to get sentiment in moments that matter of our people. We wanted to hear it, we wanted to get it. And we looked quickly, 10 questions, 10 minutes, every other month to Pulse what's happening because every other month we were changing pretty fast. If you think about the last eight or nine months um, and what was it telling us? And we quickly shared out the results globally with our employees, we're very transparent. We yeah. brought them on the journey. We, we wanted to articulate what culture meant Everyone has a different definition of what culture is, to your uh, David's point as well earlier, and defined it for what we're preserving, what's really strong from Google. How do we drive that from a Google Cloud perspective? And then we built, um, the poll came and there were executive committees on culture. We're driving uh, change agents throughout the organization. And then we're also helping our customers as well from an overall culture perspective. So we've been able to pulse, take that data, be more precise, and feed it back into our actions and deliverables uh, in the organization. And then also how it's also shaping where, where we can be more pinpointed on our deliverables. So that, that's how we've been driving and measuring it. 
we don't have all the answers. I think we'll we'll know more as we go and learn from it. But I think those are some of the key aspects that have been helping us drive the, that culture shift. And it's really about those behavior changes that show up not only with our customers, but with our employees as well. I think that the key thing there is you should feed it through to action and deliverables and also identify what are the biggest levers to pull. I mean, it's again talking to what you were saying in the in you right right at the start of this discussion, Dave. Really, you know, we're talking about the importance of actually focusing on the things that uh, that, that actually matter and add value. And again, let me go back. I uh, it is so great to hear Bridget talk about some of these insights. I'm going to go back to the difference between value and values. I think most people in HR think of culture as values, and I think what you just heard Bridget do is it's not the values we have; it's the value they create with customers. And so those two behaviors of inclusivity and agility are creating value for the customers. What does a customer get from our inclusivity? And Bridget said it beautifully, they get empathy. They believe that Google has more empathy for them because of our inclusivity inside. What does our customer get from our agility? They get our ability to respond quickly to changes in the marketplace. And I love that Bridget is defining culture, not as the internal values, not as our roots, but as the leaves and branches of the tree. What is it we're trying to create in the marketplace? I've been using the word lately, the right culture, because I think a lot of folks in HR get mixed up. The culture is just our values made real. No, culture is the right values made real to customers. And then we transfer that back into the organization. So Bridget, I thought that was a wonderful example. And that's what I heard Rupert talking about so brilliantly. What if? Well, the what if question is, what if we build that right culture? Mm-hmm. What are the outcomes we're then going to get, not just inside in, in terms of behaviors, but outside in terms of customer, investor, reputation in the marketplace? And, and I think Rupert's what if question leads us to building the right culture for the, for the marketplace where we, where we live and work. But I, I think with Rupert, just to add on to your point, if you think about traditionally doing org design, versus always thinking about what the, how the customer has to engage with the organization. If you always start with customer first and then, then build from there, I think that's always another good way to, to think about it. And um, it's interesting. So many times I can't understand the organization unless I know the engagement model and I know the business that it supports externally to understand how to give in, input or impact. So I think if we, we shift the lens and start there, it gives us a different view on how we do org design. So I think, Rupert, if you've got those what-if scenarios, if you could take the external data and, and bring that in, that could be pretty powerful to think about how it fits as a forcing mechanism for engagement and interaction from a customer perspective and then give you better ways to look at gaps in terms of your engagement model and your org design as well. And that's great, Bridget, because you've almost anticipated uh, my next question to Rupert. So <laughs> kind of linking what, what Bridget there said there, Rupert, how much are you seeing the pandemic impact the way that companies are thinking around org design and workforce planning and maybe bringing in that context there that, that, that Bridget added? Yeah, I mean, if, if I could just directly go to, to that point. So when we say understand the work, we, we really want to understand the value chain. And, and, and one of the most critical value changes is the customer life cycle. And, and so a way to think of an example of that is from awareness to advocacy. So how, how do you make a, a customer aware all the way through the consideration, the buying journey to implementation, all, all the 
through to advocacy that they they love your your platform your product your service whatever it is and and that they are a referral and and telling the world about you and so i, I call it you know the a to a value chain awareness to advocacy and a, a way of doing it is you you map what are all the stages through that value chain so what's all the work and actually a, a good exercise to do um we call it the moving house exercise so if you if you map out the work and you say, well, what things are we doing really well? If we're moving house, what do we want to take with us? We want to keep. And too often, people throw the baby up with the bathwater. I don't know if that expression translates into Americanisms. Um, but what's the stuff you want to keep that's really important? I think it's you always want to start there. What's the stuff you want to stop and say, this is not working. This is dysfunctional. And what is the stuff you need to buy new? And mapping that against that value chain, and then it's understanding well which roles are doing what against that. But more importantly, what is the interface between the roles? Because the, the work never really happens in isolation. And a, a useful tool um, we use is we call it give-get matrix. Because you, you want to know who is giving what outcome to whom and who is getting what along that value chain. And, and you can see all sorts of things. If you've got too many different actors involved and without clear accountability, you can see, you know what, the customer's going to be really, really confused. There's just too many people involved. Or you've got the wrong people. So it gives a really important lens to build on, on Bridget's point about understanding from the customer first and that value chain. And then, you know, you can do things like customer touch point analysis. So how often will customers be frustrated with the finance department or the legal department? Because they're touching the customers all the time and how you manage that part of the process um, or the support component. And there are so many different actors involved. And, you know, I'm, I'm always nervous to venture onto the territory of culture because I'm, I'm not sure it's my, my safe ground, but you know, I, I do. I do believe that you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Like without the right, and but that's about the work and how the work is done and how you help each other, and that is part of culture. Um, and 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 understanding the customer value through that value chain is a, is a lens, and you can actually see it through the data. You know, you can see when you do an activity analysis and you say who is spending their time doing what. I had, you know, an example um, of of an HR value chain, and I, so I had a, a client. I think I might have quoted this last time, David, on the on the last podcast. That he had three hundred people in HR, and the first question on on the value chain was like HR strategy, right? And so, of the three hundred people, one hundred and fifty HR professionals, and these all were spending their time writing the HR strategy. And when I asked the chief people officer and the HR leadership team, where is your HR strategy? They said, well, we don't have one. And I said, well, well, there you go. And you've got 150 people trying to write it. And, and what is that actually doing for anything? People are just wasting their time because it's not there. Build it and execute. And so understanding the work and the fragmentation of the work, we've got too many people doing too many things. Is another example. 
you know, I've, I've seen instances where one person might be doing 60 different things. Well, you can't be effective if you're doing 60 different things. It's just impossible. You need focus. Mm. So you, that's where, when I talked about reallocate, consolidate the work so that people can be really genuinely successful at what they're good at according, along those value chains. And so I think, I think HR should be facilitating those conversations. And that is a business conversation. That is not a, an HR for HR conversation. That is a business conversation because it's about the work you do. And when you're talking about the value chain, I mean, everyone gets out of bed in the morning to try and think about how we optimize that and, and, and deliver value. And Rupert, you know, obviously one of the features of the, the crisis, and in fact, the world we're living in, frankly, and probably the world we will be living in whenever this crisis ends, is that things are changing very, very quickly. You know, so when we think about workforce planning, how do HR departments make sure that they're, they're building processes that enables their, their, their organizations to react quickly from an operational and tactical perspective? Several components. One is having the data and structuring it in the right way. And, and, and too often people just have people information. No, you need to have role information position information and, 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 and clear definitions around what these things actually mean. So there's a big difference between a position and a person and people sit in positions and they change all the time. And you create new positions and it's dynamic. And so it's been very clear, I'm creating new positions here because of X and Y need, or I'm demising them because we don't need them anymore. We don't need as many anymore. And, and focusing on the positions and the roles first because that's not as political and focusing on the work. The thing that gets in the way is the politics, because if you try and organize everything around people, you're just talking about loyalties and, and, and politics and power. And that just really, that's time consuming and energy sapping. Mm. And so you won't be adept at adapting if you, that's where you're focused is on, on the power struggle and, and, and what have you. So, and by having this data live and visually at your fingertips so that you can just do do the what-ifs. And that's what, you know, gives confidence. Because if someone, if, if it's a black box and there's an algorithm that tells you go left or go right, how do you know it's true? It's not, you just, it's not going to help you. But if you, if you think through the process yourself and you say, well, if we go left, what does that look like? And if we go right, what does that look like? And I'm choosing to go right because of these reasons, but I understand these are the, the risks yeah. or the downsides. That's fine. Now, how do we mitigate those risks? So you're having a constructive conversation. You, you choose to go right. And what's the worst thing that can happen? You can then decide, you know what, the, the world's changed. We're going to go left after all, but at least you're moving forward and you've done it. And if you can be clear why you've done what you've done, with logically why you've done it and people buy into that, you'll move much, much faster. Um, and, 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 and too often the world is made up of really bright people who are hyper talented, trying to drive things in different directions, and that's really, really dangerous and, and very costly. So I'd, I'd much rather have imperfect talent driving in the right direction together, aligned. And I'm sure yeah. this is a, a big part of what's through the victory through organization, which I'm, I'm going to buy that book like straight after this. <laughs> you don't um, already have it. I, shame on me. Well, I think actually it was a good point actually to, to switch on to, to Dave actually because I think building on what, what you were saying, Rupert, um, Dave, what are some of the ways that you're seeing companies respond to the uncertainty caused by the pandemic? And 
And what impact does that have on HR uh, capturing value? Well, let me just say, Rupert, thank you. That was really helpful again. Yeah. Uh, to think about the idea of workflow and accountability. You know, this reminded me, and I'll tell two quick stories to, to then answer your question. I'll try to be brief. I had the privilege in org design of working with Jay Galbraith, who was kind of the godfather of org design. We were working with a consumer products company that was selling into grocery stores, and they had grocery stores back then. And he said, Dave, they've got to learn that we will work with the grocery store any way they want us to work with them. Option one, we'll organize the consumer products company by specialty, frozen goods, vegetables, fruits, and we'll work with each area. Or option two, we'll integrate our solutions based on what the customer wants. And I hadn't thought about that story for decades, but Jay Galbraith was prescient and he was brilliant. He said, you organize a company against the customer desire. And this consumer product company did it. Second quick story that gets to your answer. A few weeks ago now, maybe a month ago, somebody came to me and said, and you mentioned it, I have the greatest solution ever for employee experience. I've got an app. It will measure stuff. It will test stuff. It's the greatest solution ever. Uh, and I can Google stuff. That was meant for Bridget. I can find <laughs> out things that matter. And it's the greatest solution in the history of the world. And they went through 10 minutes. And they said, would you help us? And I said, why should I? And they said, because it's great at measuring employee experience. Who cares? <laughs> but it's great. It's a great app. It's good. It takes us the next step. Let me tell you where I think we in HR have got to go. It's not about employee experience. And that's an anathema. I think what I hear in this conversation from both Rupert and from Bridget is start with the outcomes. Let me, let me frame them the way we've done it. When you go in to meet with a business leader, don't start with employee experience. What is it you're as a business leader trying to accomplish with your employees, productivity, with your strategy that Rupert mentioned, with your customers, with your investors, with your market? Those are five outcomes you may be worried about. And then as Rupert said so brilliantly, what are the rows of activity we could focus on? We've identified four rows. You could do things with talent, with your people. You could do things with your organization, your culture, your capabilities. You can do things with leaders, or you can do things in HR. Suddenly, you've got a grid. You've got outcomes that matter to a business leader. You've got activities that will create them. Where do you now want to invest in that grid? Where do you want to invest? That's what we've done with organization guidance. We've identified nine talent initiatives, 12 capabilities, six leadership actions, and nine HR actions. We have 36 rows. We now can go online, and I love Rupert's idea around data and information. And it's not just data. It's data that leads to insight with impact. We have five outcomes, five columns, 36 rows, 180 cells. You're an HR person. Can you sit down with a business leader next year and say, which of those 180 cells should I invest in next year? You know, absent that, I think we in HR are just spitting in the wind. That's a, I, that's a horror. Rupert, you used an anachronism. That's even worse. Uh, <laughs> but I had one that was even worse than that. I, I think in HR, until we can link our rows and activities with the outcomes the business cares about, we're not adding full value. And, and, and I'm going to go back to where Bridget started so brilliantly. Value is what we create for other people. And those stakeholders are who we create value for. So I feel really passionate about that um, in, in that guidance approach that we're after. And I guess, Bridget, those sales, that would be the, le the levers, sorry, I'll say the American way, levers or levers, 
um, that you were talking about, understanding which are the biggest ones to pull. Um, and obviously, these will be different for different companies, I guess. So that's where your own organizational data comes in. So important. So. It is. And Great. I think that's one size doesn't fit all, but you could take the same approach. But you need to know your business well enough to know which levers are going to hit multiple things. Yeah. So you can be more productive. Thanks. Well, we're coming towards the end of our conversation now. It's, I can't believe we've already been going for 45 minutes. So it's got a quick fire round to finish. So it's going to be the same question to everyone. Um, this will be published right in January 2021. So it seems pretty apt to say, Rupert, I'll come to you first. What is the one thing that you think HR can do in 2021 to capture value for the business? Focus on the future and how to plan and execute against your strategy rather than just focusing on operational HR. So operational HR is absolutely needed. You need to hire people. You need to move them around. You need to do Alan, you need to do payroll. But what's going to change the game for HR is doing organizational planning and analysis in the same way that finance does financial planning and analysis. Finance is sitting there pulling the levers of value and planning, budgeting and, pull, and pulling the strings. HR needs to be joined at the hip, doing org design, organizational planning, so that you, you can change the outcome of the organization rather than just operationally working. And something that's interesting is the finance function, 25% of the finance function does FP&A work. In HR, it's somewhere between zero and 2%. A lot of HR organizations have no organizational planning and analysis capability at all. And the vast majority have limited capability. So how can you change the needle if you don't have that capability to influence the future? Because that's where the executives are and that's what the business is constantly focused on. It doesn't mean the other operational parts aren't important they are you need to be able to bring people in you need to be able to pay them etc cetera, etc cetera. in the same way that finance needs to do credit control and financial accounting and those backward looking operational financial aspects and that also means that you move away from just seeing hr as the chief employment engagement officer which i think both bridget and david were talking to the role isn't just making the life cycle of the employee optimal from cradle to grave. It's ensuring that the organization is fit for purpose to execute the strategies and get the outcomes you want. And that requires forward-looking planning and pulling those the levers or try and get it American. Um, and that that is a that is a that has to be a core capability. And that is not something that you should be outsourcing which is typically it's outsourced to third parties, you need to own that and have that raw capability in-house. So that's the one thing that I would say. Great. And thank you for having me. Oh, thank, well, thank you for being a guest again on the, on the show, Rupert. And Bridget, same question to you. Sure. I would say probably three things. If I go back to my experience uh, when I was outside of HR, Yeah. Bring, bring forward to the leadership and to the business the most strategic parts of it that you do in the work. Bring that forward. Don't hide it below the, the iceberg. I think that's important. Um, and all the employee lifecycle things, let's empower the leaders more to own their people aspects. Move out, be, be more strategic, and let's let's let the, the leaders really be empowered to drive that. 
And I think that the third thing I, I would say is um, stop admiring the problems, right? Add value with the outcomes um, and really be precise. I think, Rupert, you said it, focus on the two or three things that are going to drive the business and have the outcomes, not the 85 things that we could do and really make sure that, that that's how we how we drive the future. Great. Thank, thanks, Bridget. Fantastic Thank answers. You. Dave, last word to you, and then I'll okay. come back to all of you so you can just say uh, how people can keep in touch with you. So, Dave, to you, same question. Well, thank you. I've got two pages of notes now, <laughs> and I'll process those. I'm going to tie into what was just said and take it in a way that you may not expect. I think the logic of Rupert and Bridget is the same. It's not what we do. It's the value we create. So with that outside-in logic, what's the value I see us needing? And this may not be what you expect, given my background. I think the world is struggling at a very emotional level. I think we're seeing pandemic malaise all over. I see it in myself. I see it in my friends. I think we're seeing uh, social justice issues with refugees, with Black Lives Matter. I think we're seeing political chaos. I think the world is in need of a sense of well-being, a sense of comfort. What does that mean from the outside in? I'm going to take Bridget's words and Rupert's words and add to them. I think we in HR should be focused even more on empathy. I think we should focus even more on emotion and on experience. How do we help our employees find a sense in the organization of an experience that helps them belong and become and be connected so that we can help our customers who are struggling with those same things? And that's a very different answer. I mean, it's not what you would probably expect because I love data, I love outcomes, but I think the world right now is in huge need of personalization and caring for the individual, both inside the company, people or customers, as well as employees. And I think that personalization for customers and employees is gonna be an issue in the next year. And companies that get that right, and it sounds like Google's working that really well, it's not about go get the good job and get the job. There's some empathy. There's some emotion. There's some building experience. If we can do that both inside and outside with the employees and the customers, both as people, I think those are the companies that will have more success. Great. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Bridget. Thanks, Rupert. Last word quickly. How can people stay in touch with you? Bridget? Sure. I think the best way would be on LinkedIn So and also Twitter. But I think LinkedIn would probably be the best as well. Brilliant. And Rupert? Uh, LinkedIn um, or go to orgview, it's O-R-G-V-U-E.com. Perfect. And Dave? LinkedIn. I post new stuff every Tuesday. I just posted something recently on HR's Next Generation every Tuesday. Uh, read it every week. So um, Dave, Bridget, Rupert, thanks very much. You know, I wish you all well and your respective lives and careers for 2021 and look forward to connecting again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe by your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the MyHR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the My HR Future website. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Wen Shan Zhu, 
Deputy Director of the Skills Development Group at Skills Future SG on how Singapore is building the skills the country needs to thrive. So don't miss that one. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.